0: Let's pray. Lord, open our hearts as we open your word. Teach us from your word to seek peace, not as the world gives, but as you gave, and continue to offer our weary souls. Amen. We're in the final days of the Gospel of Mark. It's been a great journey. I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And now we're kind of closing in, and I hope it all makes sense. If you've not been with us, or this is uh, you kind of hit and miss for you, please go back, um, talk to Larry a little bit. We're getting slowly more and more of the series of Mark put up, so that'll be great. You'll be able to go back and enjoy that. I know I will. Um, Caleb, our first verse. This is Mark fifteen. We're going to go through it. We're going to get a couple verses. We'll talk about them. We'll get a couple more. We'll talk about them. We'll kind of keep moving through it that way. How's that? Often I read it all through, but I think this may work better today. Very early in the morning, the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of religious law, the entire high council met to discuss their next step. They bound Jesus, led him away, and took him to Pilate. And the last words of the Roman governor. Now you can go ahead and you can just let that rest and put up a different slide for a while. We'll get back to all that. It's early. Some would say extremely early. It's very early. It's before dawn. It's the day that we refer to as Good Friday. Roman courts opened early, just so you know. That's why they were leaving early. They opened early. It got hot. They'd get there early. They'd work till about noon before the oppressive heat of the afternoon sun would push them out. So the church leaders, the members of the Sanhedrin, they've bound Jesus. It's a fascinating little detail. They bound Jesus as if somehow a rope, or maybe even a law, or a current law today, could somehow bind God or even hope to contain Him. Last week, Greg talked on the events of chapter 14. It was a religious trial. It's taken place just hours before this one is going to take place. We heard about Peter's betrayal. A bogus trial. Charges trumped up against him. Now he's going to be led by rope to the Roman appointed governor. Provinces, Judea. Pilate's his name. Today, during the Passover, and every year, Pilate is stationed in Jerusalem. It's not because he's a follower of Yahweh. It's not because he even particularly likes the religion. He would much rather be in his home. And that's based in the city of Caesarea. But in a show of power, Roman power. They want to keep the crowds down. There are hundreds of thousands that move into Jerusalem. So he's stationed there. If any trouble arise, the Roman civil authority is able to make quick rulings, hand out judgment. In short, Pilate is there to keep the peace. But you see, that was a challenge for anyone. Anyone who had to govern in Judea. Pilate is the fifth governor. He holds that position. The emperor at this time is Tiberius. They would get worse. But Tiberius is there now. The governor or the Roman prefect had two jobs, and that's it. It was pretty simple. They were there to collect taxes and keep peace. Collecting taxes was actually the easier of the two jobs. Seems silly, but it was. Especially in the province of Judea, where Jews would push back against the harsh Roman rule, for hadn't they once escaped the bonds of slavery at the hands of Egypt? They had, it seemed, a heart for resistance, seemingly against all authority. Pilate's history of effectiveness in these two areas, well, it's suspect and rife with corruption, historians point out. Funny how politics haven't changed too much. Putting down one particular revolt, Pilate had sent his soldiers, dressed as commoners, into a Jewish gathering. It was a loud, large crowd. The protesters were upset. Rome had put up a symbol of power, put up their flag. The Jewish people there had said it was idolatry. The flag was to come down. This went back and forth, back and forth. Finally, his commandos in the group, dressed like everyone else, only wielding swords and clubs, and an appointed time, They were signaled. Clubs came out, swords came out, and they dispersed the crowd. Obviously, the Jews had remembered this. Another time, Rome had called for attacks, a fairly severe one. He was pretty excited he could pull this off. So the region was uh, putting up aqueducts. They needed money. He went into the church itself, took it from the treasury, sent it to Rome with a feather in his cap. Maybe above all those reasons to rebel against the rule of Pilate, this incident, Caleb, I'm going to have you look for Luke. It's going to be Luke 13. I think it's later on down near the bottom of the slides that were made. There we go this incident is recorded it's it's strange but it's it's there and historians say it's a pretty big story this is what it says now there were some present who told jesus about the galileans whose blood pilate had mingled with their sacrifices it seems that pilate decided to send in a number of soldiers into the synagogue itself And while they were making sacrifices, he slaughtered them, defiled the temple. And for this, historians say the Jews hated him the most. And it's almost like a footnote, because it goes on and it talks about things very different from what this seems to point out. Let's go back to verse... Two and five, Caleb. That would be probably the second one. Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? If you remember, this is the same question that was asked last week. Jesus replied, you have said it. Other verses, translations say it's as you have said. It seems strange. It's it's almost like Jesus is trying to toy with them with some play on words. And I think he is. I like the leaders, though. They don't like the answer either. So they begin shouting. And they want to convince Pilate of what he has done. Many believe Jesus' answers to the theologians that were given last week was a personal fulfillment of the words of admonition found in Matthew 10. Caleb, do we have Matthew 10? I think we might. I think I put that one together. Nope. I had planned to do it. How's that? Got to get good people to do your slides. Um, Matthew 10 lets us know that as we confess our Father, He will confess us. So many believe that He was being true and honoring those words. So, when asked if he is the one scriptures foretold, are you the Christ? By those from last week, by the religious leaders, he has a very simple answer to them I am. And at that moment, they realize they have him. And that's why today's trial is happening. They have them for blasphemy. The problem is the Romans aren't going to kill them for blasphemy. Romans don't care about blasphemy. The Jews do, but the Romans don't. So once again, we see leadership trying to twist things just a little. doesn't matter that he's a religious figurehead. So they make the claim that Jesus is guilty of sedition, inciting people to rebel against Pilate in Rome by announcing himself as king. Not just king of the Jews, but king. Emperor is implied. We'll find out Pilate's onto this game. He understands what they're saying. And I think just the very nature of Jesus himself, he realizes that this man's not claiming to be king, not of Rome. You see, it's tough to fool another cheat and liar. So he asked this question Are you the king of the Jews? It is as you say. What's fascinating from this standpoint and from here on forward in this story during this trial, Jesus says nothing. He's silent. Pilate wants to make sure Jesus understands. These accusations are now blasphemy and treason. Punishment, death by crucifixion. All that Jesus has to do is answer the question the right way. And he will live. See, Pilate would like that. Pilate would like peace. The religious leaders want Jesus dead at any cost. They want control back. And in their minds, that will constitute peace for them. So they try to answer for Jesus. And it says it right here. Then the leading priest kept accusing him of many crimes. They instantly go back to this. These are the things you've done. These are the bad things. He's claiming to be king. He wants you to know that he is going to set up a kingdom. Can we go to the next slide there? And Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? What about all these charges they keep bringing up against you? But Jesus said nothing. Pilate was amazed. It seems that Jesus, in Pilate's mind, has the ability to save himself. All he has to do is answer it, answer it correctly, and he walks free. He understands it. He knows that Jesus understands it. And somehow, in this amazing story, I think we all understand if we look deep enough is that Jesus is all right with being silent. Verse six, Caleb. Now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration, to release one prisoner. Anyone the people requested. The people have to remind Pilate of this. He is somehow forgotten. See, chaos is happening, and he's sick and tired of the chaos. He'd rather be back home. He's in Jerusalem. There's all these people with strange customs. He'd just as soon take their taxes and leave and go home where it's quiet. So they remind him, we would really, really like you to do this clemency thing. We'd like you to release somebody. Ah, peace at last. But the chief priests stir up the crowd and have them cry out for Christ's death. What's our next one say? Because if the prisoners at the time was Barabbas, a revolutionary who had committed murder in an uprising, the crowd went to Pilate and asked him to release a prisoner as usual. Would you like me to release to you this king of the Jews? Pilate asked, for he realized now that the leading priest had arrested Jesus out of envy. But at this point, the leading priest stirred up the crowd to demand the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. Pilate asked them, Then what should I do? What we realize from this, and historians say, Pilate's not a very good leader. Many kind of say he's got a pretty weak backbone, kind of milk toast kind of a guy. Instead of standing on conviction, what does Pilate do? He looks for public opinion. And not that we would have anyone do that today. You see, the priests had moved into the crowd only hours before they had stayed away from the crowd for fear that the crowd would tear them apart. They feared Jesus. They feared his followers and they weren't sure what to do. But now they stir them up. They move amongst them. They feel that the crowd is changing, it's changing its attitude. And their idea of peace is a return to power, control. And it may be the same for us sometimes. If we only had control over that thing, it might be health, maybe a job, maybe finance. But to get there, we need power over all those things and circumstances that influence the outcome. Uh, Then we'd be back in control. Or maybe more like Pilate. We're worried about chaos. Chaos. People unhappy with this. Too much to get done. Ends up feeling like we're hurting cats. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's silence. And the silence is from Jesus. He's the only one at peace. The others wrestle for a self ascribed morsel of peace. All they want to do is take hold of it themselves. And Jesus rests in the Father's arms, at least for now. We go back to verse 8. Once again, we find this wishy-washy, Pilate. Would you like me to release to you the king of the Jews? Let's go on a little bit more. Pilate asked for a realized by now, The leading priest had arrested him out of envy. Let's go another one. So he looks for the public opinion. What should we do? Crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? So he doesn't learn his lesson the first time. He could have stood up at this point. You say crucify him. I'm the guy in charge. I'm going to release him. But he says, why? Fascinating how crowds turn to mobs. Let's move on one more slide. And they answered him, no, they didn't, no answer at all. They'll crucify him louder. There was no answer. There was no need for an answer. They had already made up their mind. The mob rule taken over. Covered all this. Let's keep moving here. Aren't you excited? Notice no justification for their actions are needed. Only the horror of death will satisfy the bloodthirsty cry to crucify him. This is what we know about Barabbas because they yell, Release Barabbas. We want him. Mark says he's a murderer, Luke tells us he's a thief. Matthew lets us know he's a rebel, and he's famous for it. So for political expedience, Pilate has him flogged. We flog Jesus, and we let Barabbas go. It's interesting because the people want a rebel, and it makes sense. He'd rebelled against Rome. They're oppressed by Rome. They want to get away from Rome. So you understand in some respect why they ask for him. But he's a known murderer. Wow. (laughs) If either one of you guys cry up here, you ain't getting that. Okay, just so you know, that ain't happening. So to pacify the crowd, Pilate releases Barabbas. He orders Jesus flogged with him, lead-tipped whip. Then he turns him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. The soldiers took Jesus into a courtyard of the governor's headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They dressed him in a purple robe. They wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. Then they saluted him and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him on the head with a reed. It was a stick. I don't know if you've seen the film Passion of the Christ. I would pulled a clip from it, and I just don't know that I'm going to show it. It's amazing what Mel Gibson decides and the actors and the crew decide what that must have been like. And the reason it fascinated me once again is it's my sins. It's my denial of Christ. It's my desire to do things my way, to find peace in my own desire. And if it's not God's way, too often it's sinful. And that's what strikes Christ down. And they spit on him. And they drop to their knees and mock worship. You know, Mark tells us a lot, and I don't know why we have to hear this. But we'll get to that. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe. Put his own clothes on him again. Many say he was naked at this point to help us understand that he was totally humiliated. Whatever we've been through, he too has gone through it. And then they led him away to be crucified. Why the beatings, the spitting, the mockery of a trial, the mockery of the things that were called about him. Why the unjustifiable murder, the answer is not only Pilate, it's not only that the Jewish leaders, it is not about the crowd who want peace. God also wants peace. It's called a reconciliation, oneness with mankind. For God, it will never be about forcing his control over us. And Jesus, our Savior, our brother, our example, he gave up control and laid down his life in obedience to the Father as a servant, as a sacrifice, for the sole purpose of peace between God and man. Let's look at Isaiah. We're going to go back to what Greg shared last week. We're going to read it again. But I want you to pay attention to a couple of verses. How about this first one? It was the will of the Lord that his servant grow like a plant, taking root in dry ground. We despised him and rejected him. He endured suffering and pain. No one would even look at him. We ignored him as if he were nothing. But he endured the suffering that should have been ours, the pain that we should have borne. But because of our sins, he was wounded, beaten because of the evil we did. We were healed by the punishment he suffered, made whole by the blows he received. All of us were like sheep that were lost, each of us going his own way. But the Lord made the punishment fall on him. We talk about our sins As I thought about this and read this and I came across these words again, I was absolutely dumbfounded. You know, as a small kid, my folks would tell me what to do. And there was a comedian during the time I grew up that had this little comment. And he said in one of his sketches, I made you, and I can get rid of you and make another one just like you, so you better obey me. And that was part of his sketch. Now, I don't think my parents would have done that, but you can't leave anything to chance. So when my mom and dad said to do something, I said, I better do it. Because they may make another one just like me, get rid of me. As I've gotten older, I do things more out of love. You know, my parents say, it's time for me to come home and chop wood. So I go home and chop wood because I love wood and my parents. Some days I'm not sure what I like more, but, you know, I go do those things for them. Out of love. Sounds good. As a father and as a grandparent, that's all changed. I understand why the son, Jesus, went and did this. I get that. It's the obedient person. I think it's easy for us to follow that. Well, being obedient, he did that. He's supposed to. It's the father. But oh, I don't get my head around this next part. The Father, the Lord God, made the punishment fall on him. You see, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, the Roman, Pilate, they were just instruments. They were tools. They moved Jesus through a trial. They moved him to a cross. But the one who brought down the whip, the one who took the nail and the hammer and crucified Jesus, says the Lord, made the punishment fall on him. I think ultimately because God said, I can't trust this to anyone else. If this is going to happen, it will be at my hand. This is the penalty of death, or of sin, death. No one can say it wasn't done right. No one can say it wasn't done properly. I will do this thing myself. So God the Father took the Son. Like I said, as a parent and a grandparent, I don't understand how he did it. Except that he was crushed, pierced, punished. And those things brought us peace. He killed the suffering servant. Why? Because God the Father was willing to go to any cost, to any length, that we might be reconciled to him. So that we might stand as redeemed. That the peace of God and the peace with God could be ours. John says it this way: These are Jesus' words. I've told you these things so that you may have peace in the world. You will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. He doesn't say all the ways that the Pharisees, the ways of the crowd, the ways of the Romans, none of that was going to bring peace. We attempt it, we try it, but he didn't say any of that would. In fact, we may go through it all for people trying to find peace in their own messed up world. We may become victims of all these things. There's a last slide. Peace is not the absence of pain, chaos, oppression. It's not. We want it to be. We want all that stuff to just go away. Not before we find heaven. We'll have it. We'll walk through it. We'll be in the midst of it. But the beauty is peace. It is the presence of God. My prayer is is that we will find that presence. That we will rest in it. We will experience peace. It's fascinating because we're told that the world doesn't understand it. They don't understand the spiritual things. In fact, they make a mockery of it. But there's a peace that passes all understanding for those that go through loss and suffer. Whatever that pain is, whatever that chaos is, whatever the oppression is, I pray that we find ourselves in the presence of a Holy God. Dear Lord, we do stand in your power as children, your children. We thank you for being a great, kind, and loving father. May we share that message to a world that is looking for peace in many different ways. We pray that our experience will help them see that it is obtained only through relationship with you. And until that end, we pray, keep us in the palm of your hand. Amen.